You may remember Isaac from the Bible. How many of you guys remember Isaac? He was Abraham's son, you know, the one who was going to be sacrificed by God's command by his own dad. And uh, so God's, God's intent wasn't to kill Isaac, though, so that's the good news for you. It's actually to test Abraham's obedience. But let's fast forward about 20 years in Isaac's life. He marries Rebekah, and then they try for 40 years to have kids. Now, I imagine this was really fun at first, especially for Jacob, right? But then like at age 60, it was probably wearing on the both of them, I would imagine. So Isaac prayed to God about Rebekah's barren womb, and God answered the prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with not just one, but twin boys. Now, any parent who has more than one boy knows how boys like to fight. So can anybody relate to this? I'm sorry, I just thought of your boys, even though they are really sweet, right? But do they already fight with each other? I just remember growing up, I have an older brother and a younger brother, and me and my older brother, all we did was fight. So, well, in Rebecca's case, this fighting actually started in the womb, and actually the two boys in her womb were kicking so much that Rebecca was like, I'm just ready to call it quits. God, just kill me now because I can't take it anymore. And when she asked God what was going on, here's what he said. The sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. So when it came time to give birth, Esau was born first, but Jacob was, came out holding on to Esau's heel. The boys grew up, and Esau became a man's man. He was an expert hunter. But Jacob, on the other hand, he, he liked the indoors. So as you can imagine, Esau was daddy's favorite, and Jacob was a mama's boy. Now one day, Jacob was at home making some stew, and Esau came in starving. And we're not talking about how you guys feel when lunch is an hour late, like after church. We're talking about like he was really, really hungry. And actually, he was so hungry that he traded his birthright for this bowl of stew. So he said, Jacob, I'm really hungry. I need some of your stew that you're making. Jacob's like, all right, but you got to give me your birthright. Esau's like, all right, here it is. So that's some real hunger, right? I mean, just imagine like trading your house for a bowl of stew. And in Esau's case, he probably gave away a whole lot more than that. So the time came when their father Isaac was nearing death, and he was ready to give the blessing that came down from Abraham to his son, not Jacob, but Esau. Now, you know, Jacob was a mama's boy, so mom devised a cunning plan so that Jacob would receive the blessing instead of Esau. Now, Rebecca's crazy plan had actually worked, and Isaac unknowingly blessed Jacob instead of Esau. So not only did Jacob take away Esau's birthright, but he took away Esau's blessing. In other words, Jacob was now Esau's master, and all the nations of the world would serve and honor Jacob instead of Esau. On top of this, Jacob is now the one who will enjoy the blessing passed down from his grandfather, Abraham. And let's, let's see what Esau thought about that. Esau seethed in anger against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He brooded, the time for mourning my father's death is close, and then I'm going to kill my brother. So as soon as dad dies, I'm killing him. So yeah, Esau was ticked. And if you were Esau, I bet you'd be pretty mad too. And you know what? Maybe you found yourself in a situation like this where someone treated you wrong, took away something from you, and you found it hard to forgive them, or maybe you still haven't forgiven them. So today we're starting a new series, and we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about the one thing that Jesus said was most important in our Christian walk. 
We're going to look at three ways that Jesus displayed love. And next week, we're going to look at why Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And then in week three, we're going to talk about how Jesus valued relationships and community. But today, we're going to, ta- we're going to tackle a really tough topic, forgiveness. You see, Jesus forgives sinners. And if you're born again, you know that because he forgave you of your big mess that you came in with. But we're not only called to receive forgiveness from our own mistakes, but we're called to forgive others, just like Jesus forgave us. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And so let's start with the most epic story of forgiveness found in Luke 23. And let me give you some perspective first. We're talking about Jesus here, who never made a mistake, who never sinned, but yet here he was being crucified with a sinner on his left and a sinner on his right. Luke 23:32 says two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with Jesus. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Now, when hearing about Jesus on the cross, most of us have probably never taken the time to figure out why did they kill Jesus that way? You see, executing somebody by nailing them to a cross is called crucifixion. And at that time, it was thought of as the most horrible, painful, torturous, and humiliating form of execution possible. You see, they had other forms of execution back then. If they wanted it done quick, they would just cut your head off. But if they wanted to torture and humiliate somebody, they would crucify them. And it was actually really laborsome and expensive to crucify somebody, so they reserved it for the worst of the worst. Those crucified were left to hang in a position where they couldn't fend for themselves. So they couldn't wave off the scavenging birds because, you know, they had all those open wounds. So there were birds, there were animals, there were dogs probably coming up to lick their wounds, and they couldn't kick them away. And actually, I think when we think of Jesus, like, hanging on a cross, we may envision him, like, way up on a cross somewhere, like, out of reach, right? But the truth of the matter is, he was, like, less than a foot off the ground, his feet, just far enough to where he couldn't push himself up to get a breath. And so people would come up to him while he's on the cross. They'd spit in his face. They would torture him. They would mock him. All while he was sitting there dying a slow and painful death. It usually took about three, two to three days for somebody to die once they got to the cross. That doesn't include all the time they spent being tortured leading up to that. But you know what? In the midst of this, Jesus prayed the most amazing prayer. In Luke 23, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. This is what he said when he was on the cross. So in the midst of being tortured, Jesus asked God to forgive those that were torturing him. Now let's not forget, Jesus didn't do anything wrong. It's not like he had this coming. But yet he forgave those who were not just hurting him, but they were killing him. So if you're more than a few months old, I imagine you've been hurt by somebody, right? In fact, many of you right now are carrying around a significant wound. Maybe someone abused you, or they lied to you, or they cheated you. Or you know what? Maybe they took advantage of somebody you love, like they hurt your kid or they hurt your sister. Or maybe someone who says they're a Christian didn't act very Christ-like. Or maybe some church has hurt you in the past. Or maybe someone gossiped about you spreading something that wasn't true. Not quite yet on that music, guys. Thank you, though. There are even some of you who were hurt by someone who is no longer alive. 
yet you're carrying around the, the weight of bitterness against somebody who's not even here anymore. Now, what about those of you who've been hurt by your mom or dad? Maybe they didn't give you the attention that you, that you needed. Maybe they hurt you. Maybe they abused you. And you know what? For others, it may not even be something really that big. Maybe you just have a family member that like really gets on your nerves. Or maybe you have somebody at work who thinks they're better than you and they just hold it over your head all the time. And then some of you, you may just be mad at God for something that happened in your life that you don't think it was fair. And others, you're mad at yourself because you did something and you can't believe that you did it. And you've heard that God forgives you, but you can't even forgive yourself. So all this raises a big question that we're going to address today. How do we forgive like Jesus forgives? And you know what? Forgiveness seems like a complicated issue. But actually, Jesus gives us two very practical steps that we can take to forgive like he forgives. And the first one is found in Luke six twenty-eight: Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. So step one, let's all say this together. Pray for those who hurt you. Some of you are thinking, oh, I'll pray for them, all right. I'll pray that God teaches them a lesson. I'll pray they get humiliated in front of their friends and they get found out for what they did to me, right? And you know what? That's probably where Esau was with Jacob. Oh, I'll pray for Jacob, all right. I'll pray that he marries the most annoying woman that there is on this earth. And I'll pray that he finds himself in a village where he becomes a slave, right? And you know, Jesus' instructions are really shocking. Pray for those who hurt me. Really? And just imagine how shocking this was for his live audience. Because you got to remember, like, this is Jesus talking, and he, he wasn't just sitting there writing this story. This is, like, somebody documenting a conversation that Jesus actually had with people sitting right there like I am with you today. And they had been taught to get back at those who hurt them. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And you know what? We've been taught the same thing, too, in our culture. Don't let them take advantage of you. Don't let them walk all over you. Stand up and be a man. Take what belongs to you, right? Look at what Jesus says. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Look, the law even says it, hate your enemy. But Jesus says, love your enemies. You know what? Jesus gets it. We've been taught to hate those that do wrong to us. Yet he tells us to love them instead. So why does Jesus have to be like this? Why why does he have to tell us to do something that really makes no sense? If you've been in church for a while, you're probably thinking, yeah, 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 love your enemies, pray for them, right? And that's real easy to say until you actually have an enemy, like somebody who did wrong to you or somebody who hurt your sister or hurt your child. And then all of a sudden, you have an excuse to ignore the instructions that Jesus told you, even though you know them. You have a right. And so you hold on to that hate, believing that it's going to punish your enemy somehow. In reality, it's punishing you because this internal hatred robs you from the life that Jesus died to give you. So you live each day in a bad mood and you're tired and you're stressed out. And you know what? You're making everybody else miserable around you. So I hope this is opening your eyes to see things differently. If you've been let down by somebody or somebody gossiped about you or somebody hurt somebody that you love, the first step is to pray for them. And don't pray that something bad happens to them. Pray, really pray for them. So why does Jesus teach this? Because on the surface, it doesn't make sense, right? Why does he teach us to pray for our enemies? It does. It takes the focus off of us, and it forces us to change our thoughts. And when we change our thoughts, it changes our attitude. 
And you know what? Right thoughts have to come before right actions. So if you're overwhelmed with bitterness towards somebody, you're going to find yourself doing things that you wish you would have never done. And you know what? You may even do to that other person exactly what they did to you, like lie about them. But if you stop those negative thoughts by praying for them, you stop yourself from doing things that you're going to later regret. And that's why Jesus tells, them, tells us to pray for them. And you know what? Don't think that you can wait till you get in the mood to pray. You guys are like, you know what, Cade? You're probably going to ask us to pray at the end of the service for somebody that I don't like. Yeah, I am. But I'm really not in the mood, so I'm just going to wait till tomorrow. You know what? If you wait till you're in the mood to pray for him, you're probably going to be waiting until Jesus comes back. Because you have to make an intentional decision to pray for that person. Put it in your calendar. Do it every day. So your prayer may start something like this. God, do something in his life. Amen. Right? And then it may grow to something like, God, do something good in his life. Like, change his life for the better. Amen. And then it may go into you start praying specific things, like, God, help him find a better job. Or, God, I pray for reconciliation for his spouse, for him and his spouse. Now, when you start praying for somebody, get this, the prayer may or may not change them but it will always change you. So the prayer may or may not change that person, but it will always change you. So how do you forgive like Jesus? The first step is to pray for those who hurt you. The second step is found in Colossians 3.13. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So step two, let's say this together. Forgive as you have been forgiven. So why do we forgive? Because Jesus forgave us. And he didn't just forgive us of a few things. He forgave us of everything, past, present, and future. And I don't know about you, but Jesus had to forgive me of a lot whenever I came to him. And he's probably going to have to forgive me for something tomorrow. Yet he took my life of sin, and he invited me in, and he made me new. And I don't know how many lies you've told or how many people you've hurt, I don't know how many times you've sinned against God or how bad your sin really is. But what I do know is that when you come to Jesus and you give your life to him, he forgives all of it. He gives you a clean slate and he promises to forgive your sins even tomorrow. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed up, Jesus forgives it all. And this is where you obtain God's power to forgive others. Because you know what? You're probably not going to be able to muster up this forgiveness on your own, especially if somebody like really did something really bad to you. You can't forgive in your own power. But when you take some time and you realize Jesus's forgiveness for you, that empowers you by the Holy Spirit to go out and forgive others. You can't have one without the other. You can't just walk out there and try to forgive them on your own. You have to first realize Jesus's forgiveness for you. So let's play out two stories, one where you choose to hold on to your bitterness and one where you choose to actually follow Jesus's instructions. So let's say you, stay, let's say you choose to stay bitter. So every time you see this person, you're mad. And guess what? They're at every family gathering. So at Thanksgiving and Christmas, you're mad. And when you wake up at 3 a.m. and you start thinking about that person, you're mad. And when you see their post on Facebook, you're mad. And so you spend 15 minutes typing out the most hateful comment only to delete it all because you don't want them to know that you're even paying attention to them, right? You've probably heard it said that bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Is that your game plan? 
So let's play the story from the other perspective. You follow what Jesus said, and you pray for those who hurt you. And you don't just do it once, but you do it every single time those negative feelings arise about that person. Then you take regular time to reflect on how much Jesus has forgiven you. And this amazing display of forgiveness empowers you to forgive the other person. So guess what? You walk away in freedom, and you get to enjoy your life. And the other person... They may just walk away in freedom too, give their life to Jesus and have a complete life change. So I'm going to go back to the story of Jacob and Esau. Let's finish it up. So you may remember that Jacob deceived Esau, not just once, but twice. And Esau was just waiting for dad to die so he could go kill his brother Jacob. So what happened next? Jacob ran for his life. He didn't grab his shoes or nothing. And years went by, and Jacob got married, not just once, but twice. And to make things more interesting, they were both sisters. Not only that, but he was tricked into marrying the older sister by his father-in-law. Jacob only wanted the younger sister. So that's a story for another time. But if I piqued your interest, you can watch this Jerry Springer episode in Genesis 29 and 30. So while Jacob was hiding from his brother Esau, he managed to have 11 sons with four different women. He also became very rich during this time. Then the time came for Jacob to go back home where Esau lived. So he gathered his rather large family and all of his possessions, and he head off. His father-in-law wasn't happy about him leaving, of course, but they were able to settle their differences. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to tell Esau they were coming with lots of cattle and sheep and servants. In other words, here's what he was saying. Hey, brother, I know you hate me, but I have some really cool stuff. So the messengers returned to tell Jacob that Esau wasn't coming alone. He was coming with 400 men. This scared Jacob, and rightfully so, after all he did to Esau, right? So Jacob divided his belongings into two groups. That way, if Esau attacked, the second group would have time to get away. I don't know about you guys, but I sure hope that Jacob put me in that second group. (laughs) Then he prepared three different gifts, all very generous, and sent them ahead so that Esau would have received the three gifts one after the other before he made it to Jacob. You know, trying to soften Esau's heart and to be a little bit like Oprah. (laughs) The time had come, Jacob looked up, and he saw Esau coming with his 400 men. He led the way, bowing seven, seven times as he approached his brother, coming in humility. But Esau just ran up and embraced him, held him tight and kissed him, and they both cried in each other's arms. This wasn't the ending ending I was expecting, but you know what? If it ended any differently, all the women in the room would be like, oh, that story sucks, right? Because every good story has to have a good ending. But here's the point. Jacob stole practically everything from Esau, but somehow Esau found a way to forgive Jacob, and they were reconciled. So I don't know who came in this morning carrying an offense, It could be something really significant, or it could just be that annoying coworker. The world's going to tell us to get back at our enemies, but Jesus tells us to pray for them. And we're supposed to forgive them, not in our own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us when we realize that Jesus has forgiven us. Right now, everybody in the room, I want you to just receive the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive. He's here. He wants to give you that power. So just receive that power right now. Forgive that offense. Even if you've been holding it around for years and years and years, today's the day that you let it go. And today's the day that you forgive. And today's the day that you step into freedom and live the life that Jesus died to give you in freedom. We thank you, Lord, for the power to forgive. We thank you that you don't expect us to do it on our own. 
but that you give us that power. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen.